Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Podcast Network Asia. The, one of the one of the main things that holds the United States uh, at the top of the economic global stage and the developing countries back is the reserve currency. Right now, the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency of the world. That's an exorbitant privilege that the U.S. has mm-hmm. that boosts the economy artificially um, because other countries around the world. Uh, place their trust, hold their reserves and dollars, which boosts the value artificially of the dollar. Um, Now, if there was something other than the U.S. dollar as a global reserve currency, then that puts the entire world on a more uh, a neutral currency that puts the entire world on an equal playing field. Then the the United States and the Philippine economies uh, become much closer because there's no artificial kind of currency wars that inflate the the dollar over everything else. So I believe in maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's two years, maybe it's 20 years, countries around the world will wake up to the fact that the US dollar is not a fair reserve currency. And good evening, good afternoon, good morning to wherever you're watching this podcast or listening to this podcast here in the Philippines and all over the world. My name is RJ Ledesma and welcome to my podcast, the RJ Ledesma Podcast. Now, in my podcast, I like to speak to pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs to learn more about how they think about doing their businesses, what are their success secrets, can we replicate those same success secrets in our own businesses? How have they innovated, pivoted, evolved their businesses during the pandemic period? And more importantly, what opportunities do they see emerging in the new, new normal? And what are these opportunities which we can also share with the rest of our listeners? Is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? Please do let me know. I would love to learn from them. Just drop me a message. And we are also live right now on Kumu and on YouTube. Tonight, a very interesting startup right out of Boracay. And that startup is called Pouch.ph. Pouch.ph, rather, is one of the most innovative startups in the country. It enables faster, more affordable, more affordable, and more borderless payments via Bitcoin's Lightning Network, which we'll find out more about later on. Pouch is currently running its closed beta for a select group of individual early adopters, as well as 250-plus merchants in Boracay. And Pouch was founded by Ethan Rose. Ethan is an American expat who made his way here to the Philippines. He is the founder and CEO of Pouch, which he founded back in 2021. It is a Bitcoin wallet service that uses, again, the Lightning Network to enable customers to seamlessly send and receive money across borders. 
Now, Ethan, before coming over to the Philippines, previously worked as a senior software engineer for several years in Seattle at Uber, T-Mobile, Mighty AI, and Aurora. And later on, he will tell us how he came across the pain point that made him develop Pouch.ph. And with that, let's please welcome on my show, Ethan Rose, all the way uh, from Seattle, Washington. Ethan, thanks for waking up for us. <laughs> it's a... True pleasure to be on. Thank you for having me on, RJ. Thanks so much, Ethan. And just so that people know, what time is it right there? It's 7.04 p.m. right here in the Philippines. It's uh, 4 a.m. here in Seattle. But I'm often up in, uh, like, through the night, basically, in Philippine time zone. I'm only here for a little bit in Seattle, just uh, coming back home, visiting family, uh, business folks. and uh, But I'll be coming back to the Philippines very soon. Um, I have uh, moved fully to the Philippines uh, around a year ago um, to Cagayan de Oro City, which is oh, my uh, wife's hometown. Oh, great. I'd love to hear more about that story of you and your wife and coming over here to the Philippines. But before we get into that one, um, when we talk about Pouch.ph right now, maybe you can give us a little bit of an elevator pitch, meaning, you know, for many people here... Um, uh, they're aspiring entrepreneurs. They also want to learn to say, hey, if I was going to pitch my concept to a, to a cap venture capitalist or investor, how would I pitch it? And how exactly do you pitch the idea of pouch.ph? What is it in, a, in an elevator pitch format? Yeah, the, the very boiled down pitch is that Pouch is a financial company using the Lightning Network, Bitcoin's layer two payment protocol, to enable faster, cheaper, and more connected payments across the world. So the Lightning Network is revolutionary innovation in payments. Um, it's going to change the world. It's it's akin to the internet protocol for money. Um, and, and so it's very disruptive. And we believe that the Lightning Network will soon be the standard. People just like Western Union is a network, a payment network. Visa is a payment network. Even Gcash is a payment network. Mm -hmm. Lightning is the one payment network that's open source that will standardize them all, just like the internet all speaks the same language. And it's called the internet protocol. That's what, from a technical perspective, that's the technology that we're using that we believe is very disruptive. We are bringing that technology to the Philippines, connecting it to the Philippine economy um, so that now how this translates to real world benefits is for our OFWs uh, saving a ton of money on fees uh, when sending money back home. Uh, if you're in the Philippines and you need to send payments out of the Philippines, which is much less common, but also uh, <laughs> use case you can do that uh much more affordably um and um the what we're proving in barakai is that the lightning network is a standard qr payment protocol for e-wallets even foreign e-wallets so unlike qrph in the philippines mm -hmm. where e-wallets within the philippines are mm -hmm. and interoperable Lightning is it does the same, accomplishes the same thing, but globally. So I can bring my US-based e-wallet linked to my US bank account and just make a simple QR payment. No need to deal with money changers, ATMs, or um, cash pickup counters at M. Lewillier or something like that. So that's a really long elevator pitch, actually. So <laughs> that was a elevator ride, I see. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I tend to get uh, a little winded, so I apologize. That no, but I actually appreciate it. And there are a couple of things which I, which I wanted to ask because, you know, I, I often take uh, the standpoint when I do this podcast of somebody listening to these concepts for the first time. So uh, the first one which I wanted to, to bring out over here is with regard to the lighting network. So, um, you know, and, and I'm, even myself, I'm not too familiar with it. Where was this developed? Where is the lightning network uh, developed? And why is it you? Why do you have the opportunity to bring it over here? Uh, for me, like if, since I'm here for the first time, is it something that was developed out of Seattle, and that's why you're able to be one of the first movers to bring Lightning over here? Uh, no, the Lightning Network is completely open source. So it was published by it was a concept, a white paper proposed around seven years ago now by some developers who wanted to give an open source kind of proposal to scale Bitcoin. Uh, the problem with Bitcoin is transactions are very slow and expensive. That is by design. That's, I mean, you hear a buzzword, blockchain technology, all the time. A lot of people throw around the term blockchain without really uh, understanding very well uh, what it means. A blockchain is, well, it, it's simply a decentralized database, but being decentralized, it accomplishes, nobody's in control of it, really. The more decentralized something is, the more spread out it is. But uh, the trade-off is uh, it, it's slower uh, because you have to, anytime you update that database, you have to actually update a million databases around the world. That's right, that's right. Um, so that, that's, that's the problem, the scaling problem of blockchain by definition. So the Lightning Network is, uh, it's actually a, fairly simple concept of opening a payment channel between two participants. Um, so anybody can run a server, anybody can run a lightning node server, anybody, if, if you know how to code, you could literally build your own implementation following the white paper, following the specifications. Like it, it's just a server that, that speaks the same language with other servers. So, and that is why I compare it to the internet protocol. Mm -hmm. Because nobody owns the internet protocol, right? It's not Google's uh, patented invention. The internet protocol belongs to the world, really. It's completely open source. So Lightning is the same way. No company owns it. Um, the world owns it. Humanity owns it. Um, and that's why uh, that that is one of the most beautiful things about the Lightning Network, actually. Um, because if I were to be a payment processor, if I, if I wanted to start a company as a payment processor, um, I would need to get permission traditionally from Visa to start accepting credit card payments and maybe some other payment channels uh, like companies. Uh, they would have to onboard me, approve me, and it would take a long time to jump through all those processes. But with the Lightning Network, I can spin up a server, um, download a, a piece of software, and instantly become a payment processor that's already compatible with thousands of other entities around the world. Now, now, having said that, I was wondering, you, you were saying, you know, from when I was reading the brief about pouch.ph, you were saying it's an easy way for you to pay converting Bitcoin uh, into pesos. Basically, that's what it does. It's, it's also a way for you to, to make the payment much easier. And the conversion happens in between uh, with with, uh, with pouch.ph. But you're also saying uh, that OFWs can send money home. So you're saying this can be a conversion from QR into cash or cash into cash as well coming to the country. Is that right? Correct. So initially, I built the pouch wallet for myself, really, because I hated giving so much money to Western Union and fees. <laughs> um, 
they take Western Union takes around seven percent on average in fees, which is pretty massive. So if I'm sending, if I'm if I'm getting a, a paycheck and I want to send a thousand dollars back to the Philippines, I'm paying seventy dollars just for that transfer. Like all Western Union did was move a little bit of money for me. Why am I paying so much? Right. So I, I really hated that those insanely high fees. So I built Pouch for myself first of all, and our first early users were often geeky, technical, like Bitcoiners like myself, who are also just looking to save money and sending money overseas. But the problem is the experience, the user experience is very technical. It's very complicated, like dealing with QR codes, you already have to own Bitcoin, send it to exchanges. So what we've more recently done to solve that is partnered with lightning companies around the world. Um, So the biggest one that we've partnered with is Strike in the US. Strike is a lightning wallet with US dollar rails, US bank transfer rails. So uh, if you're at OFW living in San Francisco, let's say, you can download Strike and you can link your bank account in the US and then you can send, you can pick a bank in the Philippines from the list and choose how much you wanna send. Just like, feels like a traditional remittance but it actually goes through Pouch in the background. Um, and we just use the Lightning Network to settle between companies so that we save we save a lot of money on the, uh, a lot more efficient for the international settlement. And the payment is instant. Uh, you get pesos in your Philippine bank account instantly, and it only costs you around two and a half percent end to end for the entire process, as opposed to 7% from Western Union. If that's the case, I mean, this is just me speaking as a businessman. Um, wouldn't the bigger opportunity be to offer this really as a payment option, a, 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 a C2C or a B2C payment option for OFWs to adapt, given the diaspora of people sending money over here, than to do a test case out of Boracay? Which I understand. I mean, of course, it's, it's great, right? And using it for this for for merchants, right? But for me, uh, what I'm seeing is that you know we're sending 11 billion US dollars back. From all over the world, a bulk of that comes from the U.S. If they wanna, if they wanna hack the process, then just use pouch and just send the money to your local bank over here, because you can go all the way to rural banks, you can go all the way to uh, far flung banks, you can yeah. go to the the pawn shop, the Cebuano of this world, and, and they can pick up the money there. Yeah. So actually, this is something in retrospect <laughs> as an entrepreneur. Like I kind of I learned learned plenty of lessons over the past year. Right. Um, And uh, one is that, like, frankly, our our work in Brockay, well, it makes a lot of noise. It sounds really good. It's not really a viable business right now. I mean, we lose money on maintaining relationships with the businesses, Mm -hmm. Um, like just just everything about like serving, doing payment processing in Brockay. We we don't charge the merchants anything, actually. And even if we did start charging them 1% like Gcash would, we still wouldn't make back our our costs at at any scale, pretty much. So that one, our, our intention from the beginning was to help the OFW market, the $36 billion of remittances that come into the Philippines every year. And of course, that's a multi-billion dollar market. And and those fees are usually going abroad, going back to Western Union corporate headquarters, right? And not staying in the Philippines. So we also want the fees, even the fees that we do collect to stay and boost the economy of the Philippines. And that, and that makes, I mean, if we can get all the volume from Western Union 
to pouch in the Philippines, we, that has a substantial effect on the GDP of the Philippines itself. Like a, a full percentage point or more of the Philippines GDP can just be saved. So this was really the market that we were going after. The efforts in Barakay, on the one hand, uh, kind of a waste of money, but on the other hand, it's it's an investment uh, in learning. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's an investment in education, and actually, for the brand and for the marketing, it it really did uh, help us to make some noise on the global stage, uh, because. Bitcoin Island, Barakay is one of the largest Bitcoin communities in the world. One of the most viable places in the world for a Bitcoiner to come take a vacation and live entirely off of Bitcoin. So we've attracted like uh, digital nomads come and stay a month in Barakay and just try to live off of Bitcoin challenge for, for 30 days or something. So, so it made a lot of noise on Twitter. And that is how the companies that we've actually partnered with now found out about Pouch is through the Bitcoin Island project. So Overall, I would say, like, even if we did waste, say, a few thousand dollars, waste a few thousand dollars on trying to get Bitcoin Island started, it really, I, I think it's paid itself off in these partnerships. Um, it's it's more like a marketing. Point. I mean, I would think it's, it's a marketing investment. I mean, that's how I would. Yeah, position. yeah, it's it's yeah. a very unusual. It's not like just like running ads on Facebook, but it's a more long tail marketing campaign, I guess. I get it. I get, it. but it, it seems. Well, now you know. For me, uh, as a marketer myself, um, it seems to make sense now because uh, being the place where the people uh, do mine Bitcoin at Barakay and to bring it over there just makes sort of good marketing sense. Just as a springboard to to get the global stage there, and finally, now you can take it to the next stage. That like you've got a you've got a you've got a case uh, study that people can actually look at uh, where it works. Now, yep. having said that. Um, you know, uh, the harder thing I always find uh, on the podcast is to simplify this explanation. My wife is not into Bitcoin. My my, my late dad, Hussein, you know, I would always try to explain the concepts to him on the, on the show. Uh, and they, they they wouldn't get much traction. Or, I guess even your in-laws uh, don't, get, uh, don't have much of an appreciation. How would you explain what Pouch.ph does for them? That's a great question. Um, and on their side... It's really the the benefit is really to the sender, uh, because the sender has always been like the OFW has always been the one paying the fees to send. At the end of the day, you could say uh, as a recipient, uh, you you could get more money, uh, right? Because less of a cut is going. Say, if if you wanted to send, well, this is true. Like, so using Western Union, if you wanted to send a thousand dollars, maybe you'd actually end up paying. A thousand and seventy dollars. So at the end of the day, if you're sending a thousand seventy dollars, either one way or the other, either the the sender saves money or the recipient gets more money. Right at the end of the day, when using Pouch for remittances. Now, Pouch is an e-wallet, just like Gcash or Maya. Um, So you could actually anyone in the Philippines can download Pouch and use it for bank transfers, buy load, pay bills. Um, and you may be able to, depending on uh, who you pay your bills to, you, you might actually be able to save some money compared to Gcash or, or Maya because usually they mark up their fees for paying bills. So there, there are like little benefits like that you might find in the Pouch app. But uh, overall, as uh, if you're not making payments internationally, um, it won't really feel that unique compared to Gcash anyways. Hopefully, though, there are some 
some fee savings that you can find. Great, yeah. I'd love to talk to you offline about this one. I think as an entrepreneur, my mind is right now bursting with opportunities, and I just I'm just waiting to 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 fix up everything in my head as, as we speak here right now. And I hope more people are actually listening to the podcast because this opens up a, a lot of opportunities for our OFWs and, of course, to the different um, financial agencies here in the Philippines. Um, awesome. Oh, actually, if I could add one more thing. Go ahead. I, I just uh, remembered uh, we have partnerships with lightning-enabled gaming companies. One of them is called Thunder Games. They make mobile games. Mm -hmm. uh, very like Pretty casual games is what they really have focused on so far. So like Bitcoin solitaire, a Bitcoin racing game, Bitcoin block game. Um, you play and you just earn a tiny amount of Bitcoin. For Now for anybody geographically located in the Philippines using their apps, they list pouch as the number one cash out option. So if, if you play uh, a game and you get a few stats, it, it translates to a few centavos. So, but we do have uh, people who find this like, it's a it's a nice way to pass time, and not, 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 not like the previous games where you had to actually where you made it your 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 main source of income, but rather just pass time and you you earn something. Yeah, right. well, you don't have to put in money first. It doesn't have any kind of Ponzi economics to it compared to I think like Axie Infinity had a, more of a Ponzi uh, element to it because like I I really wanted to try it out, but by the time I uh, looked into it. I was like, well, just to start playing, it's going to cost me like hundreds of dollars. This, this, this doesn't feel right. Right. So I'd like just rather pass on that one. Um, so yeah, this one is very casual. Like you don't earn a lot. There's no kind of Ponzi element to it. You just, uh, they make money from ad revenue. So you, so you'll get between games, watch a 10 second ad or whatever, and then you get a few sets. Yeah. You're not going to pay the bills by playing games. Uh, but then there is another company called Zebedee, which is more competitive, uh, and they host tournaments. They um, they are more PC focused, like kind of more serious uh, games. So I I do believe I don't I haven't heard a success story for sure. Like if anybody like making some loads of money, but but there's definitely more potential to if you're like a good gamer, say like competitively you could actually earn um and play kind of with an international audience and and win tournaments and and win more decent amounts of money i guess so that's a little uh shout out to the gaming crowd i guess okay and they're, they're listening too um ethan so interesting story so far i like how our one discussion point has actually blown up into a lot of different opportunities as to where we can take uh, the posh.ph app and where actually what the pain point was for you to actually develop the app. Now, my next question, which is related to, to that one, is you found yourself here in the Philippines. And I, I think the story of finding yourself in the Philippines is, of course, uh, you found yourself a, a, a beautiful Filipina bride. Uh, tell us a bit more about the story and maybe how it relates back to you saying there's actually because I mean usually if somebody marries Filipina they 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 would migrate to the states but you chose to take the opposite route and and come over here so tell tell me a bit more how, how did you meet your wife and and what made you make that journey here to the Philippines yeah so as you mentioned introducing me I, I worked as a software engineer for my career but I actually went to college and studied music education I thought I was going to join the symphony as a violinist because I'd played violin all my life. I love 
actually teaching. So that was my course. And I made cover songs of, of popular songs, like violin covers on YouTube. And I had uh, maybe a few hundred thousand uh, viewers on uh, some of the videos. Like not not crazy viral, but, but a little bit. Uh, like had a little bit of a following. And so my now wife, uh, she was one of my fans of my uh, channel originally. And so, yeah, we just got to know each other and I, I was really intrigued. Of course, she's very beautiful and um, the Philippines is very interesting. So I took a trip uh, to go visit her um, and really fell in love with the Philippines and of course fell in love with her. And she did come back to the U.S. Um, well, I, I petitioned her uh, as a fiance. We got married here in the U.S. and lived here for maybe seven years or so before moving back to the Philippines. So she became a U.S. citizen as well. And I self-taught programming, actually. I, I had been interested in computers, gaming, even myself, like through high school and even through college, IT. Um, so it was still uh, kind of the, the fallback to music education that actually made way more money. Like software engineering, get, you get paid way more than being a music teacher. So uh, that's what I <laughs> pursued really and moved to Seattle, worked for Uber, which is a, a massive like Silicon Valley based tech company, worked for a uh, startup as well. Um, and so that's how I learned kind of like the entrepreneur journey from the perspective of a software engineer. And then um, all the while, sending money uh, back home to support her parents, to pay pay the bills. And that, and of course, that's the pain point that we were talking about with Western Union taking a big cut. And then now uh, that we've moved back to the Philippines, there are actually some, some other pain points that I didn't expect. So one, for example, is getting getting our house in the Philippines and furnishing the house. And we went to SNR to buy an appliance. We bought a ref, a new ref. And uh, in the checkout, um, my credit cards were just like declined one after the other, just trying de debit cards, credit cards. Uh, because I, even though I had notified my banks because they're US issued uh, credit cards and debit cards, even though I notified them that I was in the Philippines, and they knew it, like just because the purchase was such a great amount, they would just decline it. So I was stuck, like just trying. Like I have the money, I want to buy the ref, right? But there's no way for me to actually pay. Something like Bitcoin solves this because with Bitcoin, I don't need permission from a bank. My money is my own, right? Banks can't decline me. So one uh, one of the beautiful use cases of some neutral kind of money. But that's that's another conversation for later. So I've I've again, like I said, long-winded, got derailed. Apologies for that. Bring bring me back in. Yeah. Well, as I bring you back in, I, I want to know what brought you back to the Philippines because the usual case is that you know um, for 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 Filipinos, I mean, migration is is something that many of them look forward to. But I often say, you know, um, sometimes when when expatriates like you come to the Philippines. Uh, you're seeing opportunities that usually some Filipinos don't see unless they're also they also have an entrepreneurial mindset. What brought you here? And I'm sure I'm sure uh, 
it was, you know, there were certain uncertainties, but what was the prevailing opportunity in your mind that you said, hey, you know what, I think it's time for us to move back because there's a lot that we can do over there. Because you gave perfectly reasonable jobs or in Seattle where you could get a job in a startup or, or a big tech company. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a sad reality around the entire world, not just the Philippines, but, but especially in the Philippines, um, that um, often countries face the most talented people, the brightest, the brightest uh, people leave the country to go work in the U.S. and build up the United States economy, right? Which is not, it, it just really sucks for the Philippines, right? Because these, these talented engineers, like, like I see even uh, software engineers go, they will work abroad, right? Because that's where you earn more money. Uh, unfortunately, it, it compounds or, or, you know, it's uh, the Philippines loses their top talent due to brain drain is the brain term drain. that uh, heard it referred to as. So, of course, I can't fault anyone for doing what's best for them and their family, right? Which is why OFWs will move abroad. Well, my own scenario, I, on a personal level, uh, find the Philippines much more fun. As the saying goes, right? It's more fun in the Philippines. Um, I, I feel like uh, in in the U.S., life is boring. I'm just kind of like slowly dying. It's just a grind, work and eat and sleep, and that's it. Whereas in the Philippines, um, there's a lot more joy and happiness and life. And um, it, it's, uh, so on a personal level, I really love living in the Philippines. And uh, on the employment side, I it's true, I could make a lot more money working for a big tech company in the US. Um, any job in the US, of course, pays a lot more than a job in the Philippines. So I was at a point where I had enough savings to really not have to worry about uh, my next paycheck. And um, so it's it's in a way like I'm willing to take the risk. I'm able to take the risk now of not getting a stable paycheck, but I do have the ability to serve this massive need um, that if the pouch team does it really well, will make up for all the salary that I could have had working in the U.S. and more, hopefully. It's a big risk, as we know as entrepreneurs, uh, the success rate of startups is quite low for various reasons. But, well, I mean, especially venture-backed tech startups, but, I mean, the risk-reward profile, I guess, is aside from being very personally connected and loving my job and um, feeling uh, calling to do this, um, there is actually a reward that offsets even salary that I, I could be making in the U.S. or anywhere in the world. Um, because if successful, if Pouch does well and we build a billion-dollar company in the Philippines, um, then as a founder, of course, my my share would be in the hundreds of millions of dollars, and that would be significantly more than I would have paid at <laughs> anywhere, anywhere, yeah. right? So, and the but the but the driver for me, it's not the money. The money is, it, I don't think as entrepreneurs, you can't have long-term success if you're just chasing the money. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be passionate, and you have to be 
really aiming to help people um, provide real value for the long term and the money if if you're making the right decisions time after time working hard serving meeting people's needs then you will um, be rewarded but um, it, it can't be your your motivation exactly I get, I get where you're coming from there it's more purposeful what you're doing here and you feel like what you're doing here is a bit more purposeful than what you might have been doing um, in other jobs back in, back in the US uh, exactly. but, but the other question I want to ask also as well is um, my son is very curious to learn more about what you have to say. but then, how old is your son? My seven-year-old over here. Very curious about Bitcoin and um, and pouch. But but the other question I wanted to ask is um um when you when you when you're doing this business, do you also take a look at sort of like the, the macroeconomic factors, like you were saying, okay, the Philippines? I mean, I just just because I spoke to the other American expat, they were saying, you know, you have a growing population. This is your this is your growth rate over here. This is the the large amount of. Um, uh, uh, remittances coming in. Were you also looking at those other factors when you when you put a pouch, especially when you came back? Because you sort of had an inkling of what you wanted to do, but you mean I'm sure you were looking at other factors that that, that said, you know, this is something I want to get into. Um, so I didn't really. I mean, that, that didn't affect the decision at all. Oh, really? Um, because again, very, it's it's a personal problem that I'm trying to solve for myself that <laughs> a bunch of other people happen to have, um, and it. To me, it didn't matter like whether the Philippines is growing, whether it's shrinking. Like this is, I'm passionate about this, so this is what I'm going to work on. However, I think I, I believe that there is a revolution uh, coming in the next few years, which is the, one of the one of the main things that holds the United States uh, at the top of the economic global stage, and the developing countries back is the reserve currency right now the us dollar is the reserve currency of the world that's an exorbitant privilege that the us has mm -hmm. that boosts the economy artificially um, because other countries around the world uh, place their trust hold their reserves and dollars which boosts the value artificially of the dollar um, now, if there was something other than the U.S. dollar as a global reserve currency, then that puts the entire world on a more uh, a neutral currency that puts the entire world on an equal playing field. Then the the United States and the Philippine economies uh, become much closer because there's no artificial kind of currency wars that inflate the the dollar over everything else. So. I believe in maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's two years, maybe it's 20 years. Countries around the world will wake up to the fact that the U.S. dollar is not a fair reserve currency and will, pr will prefer something neutral. And the only viable neutral currency is Bitcoin. Um, the other, I mean, some economists speculate that the yuan is the second uh like second best that would that would replace the dollar. Mm -hmm. And I just believe that. Um, most of the world, certainly not the West, like wouldn't wouldn't follow the um, Chinese regime. I guess mm -hmm. um, I don't think the world should even follow the Western the American regime, right? Because I mean, every every country should have the freedom and flexibility to um, make their own decisions, live have their own culture, right, and not have to to bow to some economic authority. 
So I believe Bitcoin accomplishes that. It's a it's a new technology, a new monetary system akin to digital gold, available for the first time in history, and countries will adopt it. The only thing I don't know is whether it'll be next year or uh, twenty years. Yeah, yeah. But I I do believe that it'll happen pretty much overnight because when we when we look at like banking system collapses in the U.S., it's always like you just wake up one day and the news is covered with uh, the U.S banking system just collapsed like uh, three of the largest banks in the u.s like silicon valley bank just underwater they had a bank run like you don't see it coming and it it just happens right and so there will be one day where we just wake up and uh, everybody is clamoring to get out of u.s dollars and then that'll be the end of the the, the currency and yeah it's uh, it'll be a really interesting day Speaking of interesting, I, I want to go back to the idea that you thought of this idea, and earlier on we spoke about how how you came up going pouch. It, it, you were just you know infuriated by the amount of money that you were paying to the remittance company, so you wanted to develop it in house. Um, I'm guessing that when you began this company, you were bootstrapping, um, meaning, and for those who don't understand bootstrapping, it just means that money is coming out of your own wallet to to create uh, to create the app. Was that the case for you? Because I, I guess you ideated it, you got a good idea, you developed basically. Uh, .ph yourself is that right yes for the first six months i uh kept my day job and i just personally as a as a programmer i was just programming it myself the, the job um, in the States, or was that over here already um i still lived in the u.s actually at the time so i so i had my day job in seattle mm -hmm. and actually i did um it was it was during the pandemic, I'm pretty sure I actually I'm forgetting how the timeline of the pandemic went because <laughs> I was already like pretty much working from home anyway. So I did spend a lot of time in the Philippines, though, during the pandemic as well and still working for my day job in the U.S., but also building pouch on the side. But then after around six months, um, we got our banking rails in the Philippines. We launched the app and we had a, a small user base already. And I had scheduled some investor calls uh, because I had some introductions and met some very early stage investors who actually invested in Pouch. And that's the time where I quit my day job and turned Pouch into a full-time job. And how was it like when you, when you set the Pouch initially? Did you go to Boracay straight? Did you come Did you come back home from the States or go to Cagayande or first where your wife's from? Or did you go to Boracay because you were saying, this Bitcoin island is something I can start the concept of. In. Actually, I hadn't physically been on in Boracay until Bitcoin Island already existed. I see. Um, so there, there was uh, another American expat actually who um, he was also a, a geeky Bitcoiner like myself. He was trying to start a Bitcoin community in Zambales, and he wasn't having uh, that much success because he was using a Bitcoin only wallet without rails to the philippine banking system so when he learned about pouch he reached out and and said this was this is amazing this is exactly what i needed to start my community so i suggested to him like hey why don't you move to Boracay? it's a massive tourist destination right and this, it can be it can you can make a lot more of an impact i think like it's more of a proving ground for international tourism um in a larger scale 
So he himself moved to Brakai and and went door to door meeting business owners and just building the connections and and training people on how to accept Bitcoin for payments. So I didn't come to Brakai until um, six months later, and we hosted. I spent a few months in Brakai, and we hosted a, a small conference, Bitcoin conference, in Brakai. Yeah, uh, at first um, I was. In Kagayande Oro, basically, yeah. And our team, so we have a team of around eight employees right now, and we're a fully remote team. So some are based in Manila Metro, and some are based in Cebu, um, some Boracay, some Mindanao. And we work in a virtual office. There's an app called Gather. So we have, a, it's like a little gamified virtual office. Everybody gets desks, and you can walk around and automatically join video calls it makes it feel like we're working in person in an office even though um we're all spread out i'm just curious so you, you live in Cagayan de oro and it, it, with your wife so are you bisaya by now oh bisaya uh story of bisaya pero gamay really i understand more uh um my uh, speech is is kind of slower, but but I can understand it pretty well by now. Fantastic! Really great, really great to hear. So before, what your wife was trying to pass or said get by you, she can't get by you anymore. I guess at this point, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's fun. I mean, I I like. Uh, I mean, I I do like have, have asked like for. Um, translate I, I, there's so many ways i'm trying to learn bisaya right like there's not that many resources available online so i'm making flashcards for myself to like learn the vocabulary but um yeah it's it's been a journey i mean eight years in now and i'm still not that proficient so i'm going to go to the chat box here into the comment box here right now a lot of people very interested in the show the first one was uh ivo contreras over here saying amazing Amazing experience. Thanks so much, Ivo. We also have uh, June Olivar saying LFG Pouch Philippines. And uh, Ron Adarle saying nice one over here. Thanks so much for all those who have been uh, listening to the podcast. I hope you're learning a lot. I'm learning a lot from, from our discussion here together uh, with Ethan. So Ethan, uh, help me move, move, move on with, with the story. So you came to, you, you asked me to go to Baraka. You sort of like established a beachhead for you. You guys had a conference over there. And you were cognizant of the fact that if you were opening Baraka, it wouldn't necessarily be something that would generate a lot of income, but would generate a lot of interest for you to get people using Pouch.ph. Is that right? Correct. Now, once you did that, um, how was the reception? Because usually, you know, as in, you know, it's one thing to ideate and, and create the app, but how was it? How was the people immediately take to it? Did you have a hard time? What were the challenges initially getting people? Uh, to, to, to download the app or to use the app? It really depended on the the person. So when we talk to business owners for, for the accepting payments use case, um, we have to talk to the business owners. Some are very traditional and only want to use cash. Some uh, only want to use uh, the Gcash or, or maybe some of the Maya POS terminal, like some are already like set up, right? And so they don't want to try something new, but then there are others and some larger businesses, even like uh, the Royal Indian Curry House along yes, the rich, beach. Yes. Rich is very good. Like 
um, they they were very receptive to like just adding a new payment system on top of all the payment systems they already have. And once once we can talk to the business owner, I mean, we know we know right away whether they're interested or not. And I mean, we certainly don't push anyone. I mean, we don't even make money off it anyway. So we're not monetizing the business owner. So we're not trying to force anyone to uh, start accepting pouch. Um, but if if they do have an interest, we're really happy to just do training, get them set up with a uh, static QR code, get the app downloaded, etc. So it really the the conversation varies. Um, some some it's a very very easy to onboard, and some it's not so. But the main thing is we're very diligent, so we we find we we know that there is a market. There are people interested. Business owners, really the selling point for a business is um, attracting new customers. So uh, if you accept Bitcoin, you get put on the BTC maps uh, and you get promoted on social media. So you'll have a new base of high paying international customers. That's pretty sweet for a business. However, Mm -hmm. one of our problems is we don't have that many tourists coming. So maybe in a month we have a handful of Bitcoiner tourists. Some stick around and stay for a while. Some just come for a three-day vacation. But the point is, if you have 250 merchants and only a dozen people using Bitcoin in a given month, the businesses are not getting that much love, not nearly as much as they would have hoped or as we would have hoped. So we're finding the spender side of the equation is actually our our problem for um, getting this economy uh, working smoothly. And having said that, what's the pivot that you had to make learning based on that insight? We The main pivot we made actually was just uh, cutting our spending on uh, acquiring businesses in Brockeye. So um, now we don't have a full-time employee like onboarding merchants in Barakai. Um, and we're not having any kind of marketing budget. We still do have the office, physical office in Barakai. And that one, we're not using it much anymore, actually, since we're a virtual, like fully remote team. So that one we may even cut. Uh, so that that's really the pivot. It's kind of the sad kind of pivot, like something that we worked so hard to build. We just found it's not economically viable. So, but it's already fulfilled its purpose, which is uh, being a proof of concept and getting the word out. Uh, but now it's like, okay, we're time to cut our cash burning here okay. um, because we, we don't foresee, we don't see a path to making this profitable in the next few years until there's some kind of more traction. Got that. So, but basically, Barack was just really a use case to see if we could make it work. Um, and that's, it's more of a B2B thing than a, a business-to-business rather than a business-to-consumer. Uh, right. It's a business-to-small-business. So some some of the users are consumers. They are, they're basically consumers, like Sorry Sorry stores, small businesses, trike drivers. Um, so some are personal as well. Yeah, it's. I would say it's kind of more B2C, even, even though it's, it's B2B. B2B as in small businesses. Um, but actually where we're, where we're focusing now is we, we recently have 
re-strategized and refocused. We're taking a step out from uh, selling, spending on the payments use case and even the e-wallets use case. And we're focusing all our effort to the infrastructure use case, the true, the, the B2B software as a service kind of use case. There are a lot of hurdles to starting a startup that uses the Lightning Network for payments. Um, I mean, the Lightning Network itself is very complex. Mm-hmm. Most companies, even exchanges, don't do Lightning Network infrastructure in-house, and they're looking for third parties to manage the infrastructure for them. So we've uh, took a step back and built basically an API version of Lightning so that so we can provide Lightning as a service. Actually, I want to shout out if, if there are any entrepreneurs or prospective entrepreneurs here um, looking for an idea, there's definitely a need for startups that utilize the Lightning Network as just a more connected payment system. Um, so many interesting use cases and problems that can be solved, um, and we can help make the setup easy by providing the software as a service. We're happy to provide support as well as as you integrate, um, and we'll take care of basically all the complexity of the Lightning Network. Um, so, for example, if you wanted to launch a social media app, in the Philippines, like um, actually the way we're structuring the company, we'll actually be able to serve uh, or th- this product. The, we're calling it Pouch Core, the Lightning as a Service product. We're actually able to serve globally. So the Philippines is our home and our focus, but but we can also serve around the world. Um, so if you say you want to start a, I don't know, a Twitter clone, whatever, whatever. Clone. Uh, X clone, yeah. Um, and you want to have some kind of uh, marketplace built in as well so people can buy and sell things. Um, you can buy and sell things internationally, w- whatever the use case is. Um, or another example maybe is like an earning platform, a tasking platform where um, like Filipinos are very good at uh, freelance work. Um, it's a great earning opportunity. There's platforms like Task. Uh, oh, what is the platform? Uh, Upwork, Task Us, TaskRabbit, Task Us. Yeah, Task Us is a big company, a lot of freelance kind of work. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to start a platform like that, Lightning is a really great use case, uh, 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 differentiating factor for your startup as well. And our pricing is um, very simple. Like you, it's it's 0.5%. That's our initial like pricing model for any transactions that you do over lightning and you could, I mean, even monetize it, like put a markup on it. So maybe you, you sell it, you, you charge a 1% fee, but it only costs you half a percent. So you don't actually even have to take the risk of all the infrastructure and, and such. Uh, so, so we'd love to help if you have, if you're having ideas and you want to start a startup, we'd love to yeah. um, help. Build. That's what I was going to ask you about. I was going to say, what are the opportunities present in the industry, which you exist in? And that's basically if you say, uh, software as a service, lightning as a service, and if there are other entrepreneurs who might want to be able to leverage that technology uh, for their own businesses, it's something that they should take a look at. By the way, um, I just want to greet again people. 
we're enjoying this discussion here so far. I've got here back in the comment box, Lance Luis, Axel Rod, Cavipeño saying, uh, great, good evening, and also saying great discussion here at 7.45 p.m. Let's check it out. It says great discussion. And we also have Rubes Combs saying LFG, looking for group from the Davao DeFi community, decentralized Yay. community. Really yeah, good. I love Davao DeFi community. I, I came to Davao uh, a couple months ago. And um, yeah, great, great group. Fantastic to hear um, that. Uh, you know, I didn't yeah. realize we've, we've, we've spoken so much. We've always done with the hour here uh, on the podcast. But Ethan, oh, I know wow. it's been quite a, you know, you've had quite a career in software and becoming an entrepreneur and putting a pouch also here at the same time. Maybe if you don't mind, there are people listening here right now from different communities, different entrepreneurs. Is there any advice that you want to share with them here right now uh, about putting up a business, putting up a new business like yourself, uh, things that you want to share that hopefully people don't make the same mistake that you made or they can learn from what what you've uh, what you've accomplished so far here with Pouch. yeah um i've learned so much actually i didn't realize there was so much to know i guess i thought like the 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 coding portion is actually one hard part and that a lot of founders of tech companies struggle with this piece because finding a technical co-founder is very challenging um so but that part was the part that came easy for me but the business side and the i mean figuring out how the sec works even like establishing forming a corporation uh the the licensing processes the um financial reporting um uh, pretty much everything other marketing um business development like everything other than software was the hard part for me so, uh, by the way, I, I run a company called EnterPH where I help foreign businesses offshore outsource to the Philippines. I could have helped you set up. Pouch, oh, not awesome. That's what we do. That's what I do. I, the way, the, I'm the way aware. So we've had, we've had success with many companies like yours that have come over here. Very good. Um, yeah, that's a great idea. That could have been really helpful. Um, context, right. <laughs> and, uh, getting us set up. And, uh, so, I think my main piece of advice though um, is don't be afraid of the unknown because you can learn and figure it out. Um, I think one thing that holds a lot of people back from trying uh, is the, the fear that I won't be successful, I don't know what I'm doing, uh, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. And I think a, a successful entrepreneur um, just has to embrace that they don't know everything. Um, for myself, I don't know if I could call myself successful yet as an entrepreneur. We've had some successes for sure, but we're not profitable. So that's still another massive uh, hurdle to overcome, but but really we we wouldn't have gotten anywhere if uh, I was scared to try things that I had no idea what I was doing. So as a, as a word of encouragement to to anyone who wants to start a company or or maybe you're you're starting already, um, just have confidence 
because even people who look like maybe they have it all together <laughs> often have no idea what they're doing and just trying to figure it out on the fly and kind of acting the part, right? That was how I got my first job in software engineering as well. Like I was self-taught, but but really just um, acted confident, right? And I I don't know. It's there. There's well, of course the expression like "fake it till you make it." Um, I, I wouldn't say lie. Don't lie, but just just uh, be confident in what you know, and for things you don't know, be really willing to do research, learn, absorb as much knowledge as you can and push forward. Got that. And Hinzi Zabala saying over here, spot on advice. Uh, thanks so much, Hinzi Zabala, for that, in for that input over there. And again, a lot of great learning over here from Ethan Rose, co-founder, or rather founder of Pouch. Uh, Ethan, if they want to download Pouch right now, where can they download pouch.ph? Um, so if you go to our website, pouch.ph, there are links to the iOS and Android app stores. Yep, there so you, you can just click, click one of those uh, download links and get it on your phone, sign up. You have to, in order to use, because it is a financial application, you do have to have a valid government ID to do your KYC uh, process and gain uh, full access. You get a bank account number um, and uh, it's, it's much like, Gcash again, or like a bank account in the Philippines, except um, more international connectivity via the Lightning Network and potentially lower fees on bill payments and uh, other kind of integrated features. So please do give it a try. Yeah, yeah so please give it a try. That's pouch.ph. Ethan, good luck uh, with your, I, I would call this an advocacy of helping, um, of, of your own contribution to the Philippine economy. Marielle Co saying right now, sign up now. It's seamless and fast. Thanks so much. Uh, Marielle. <laughs> Thanks, Marielle. We're chiming in on our team. Yeah. Thanks so much, Marielle, for, for adding that in. So again, thanks so much. Uh, thanks for guesting here, Ethan. This will be one of many talks I'm going to be having over here again. This has been the RG Despa podcast. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. We will see you in the next podcast. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you soon. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.